All right, well, again, welcome to H2O. Great to have you here. Not sure if you caught that Kent slipped in. That was an original from our band, which I think is awesome. I don't know about you all, but I feel so blessed to be led and worship every week by such talented people that point us to Jesus, and I hope that that song bless you. I know that it did me, and uh, we are continuing on in our series today that we're calling Be the Church. So throughout the summer, we find ourselves in unique times, and as the church, we get the opportunity to engage in those unique times, and so we've been talking about this reality. The church isn't just something that we go to. It's way more than a building. It's even more than a gathering, but church is something that when we accept Christ and become part of the family of God, church is something that we are. It's not just something that we go to. And so we've been talking about the reality of what it looks like for us to actually live that out. And what we've been doing is looking at these different one another commands that are given to us in the Bible. Jesus gives us one another commands. Other New Testament authors, they give us one another commands. And essentially what these one another commands do is they teach us what it looks like to be the church. And obviously you have to have relationships with one another to one another one another. And so we've been talking about this throughout this series, figuring out what it looks like to not just go to church, but to be the church. We talked about different ones and different commands, and today specifically, we're going to talk about the one another command to be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable to one another. Now, hospitality, welcoming people into our homes, opening up our lives, it's something that, that many of us think about. It's something that I think we know deep down is a good thing to do. In fact, uh, one of the, the TV stations that my wife and I, we, we like to watch, we don't watch a ton of TV, but one of the stations that we do watch is HGTV. And, and some of you are probably familiar with that. I know some of you are maybe even addicted to that channel because there's some pretty cool shows. And one of the shows, or different shows that we watch have a lot of decorating decorating involved in them. We watch shows like Fixer Upper or Love It or List It because my wife, she's creative. She has great taste. She likes seeing all the different things that people do with their house and real estate's kind of a hobby of mine. So I like looking at the houses and the markets and all those different things. So we enjoy those shows together. But if, if you watch one of those shows, if you haven't seen them, basically people are going through different houses and talking about what they like or some of the renovations that they want done. And there's this common common phrase that just comes up all the time, no matter what show it is. It's almost, you know, it's almost become cliche how often this phrase has been said. And, and pretty much any couple, no matter what house they're looking at, they'll say something like, well, we need a space for entertaining. We need a backyard for entertaining. We need a kitchen for entertaining. We love to invite people into our home. We love to spend time with people. And so I think uh, our world, we know that hospitality, that gathering together is something that is important and it's a good thing to do. But the question is, is that what biblical hospitality is? Is, is? is that what it is, inviting people over for a barbecue and spending some time together? Or is it something even more deeper than that? Is that just a starting point for what real hospitality looks like? And so today, the big idea, as we unpack this passage, passage of Scripture, is, is this. Biblical hospitality, it puts our lives and our hearts on display. Think about that. Biblical hospitality. It's not just about inviting some people over every once in a while. True biblical hospitality, it puts our lives and our hearts on display. We welcome people in to 
what our real lives look at. And there's something really great about that because when we welcome people in, they get to see what our lives are all about. They get to see the good, the bad, the ugly. They get to see what our hearts are all about. But there's also something a little bit intimidating about biblical hospitality, isn't there? Because when we open up our lives and when we open up our hearts, sometimes those places are a little bit guarded. Sometimes those places don't look exactly like what we want everybody to think that they look like. But biblical hospitality goes beyond the surface level, invites people to see the real us. And when we welcome them in, it starts to root out our own areas that we may struggle with, and it allows people to help us in those areas. And so as we look and open the pages of Scripture, we're going to dive in and see what Peter tells us about biblical hospitality. We're going to be spending some time in 1 Peter chapter 4, and Peter was one of Jesus' apostles, and he's writing this, this book, this letter, to uh, the churches in the Roman Empire that are kind of all spread around. He's writing this letter to different churches, and many of them during this time, they're facing persecution. They're facing people that are kind of looking for them for their faith and want to punish them for their faith. And, and so the Christians during that had time oftentimes would move around and, and they would travel. And, and Peter's telling them, as, as people are moving, make sure that you're hospitable to other believers because we need each other during these moments. That's kind of the backdrop that we're going to jump into. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 is where we're going to start. And we're going to stop a couple different times throughout this passage and look at what this text means to us. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Peter just comes out and says it. Listen, the end of all things is near. I talked a couple weeks ago in, in, in one of the Thessalonian letters, and, and something similar was said by Paul. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. I want to stop right there before we jump into talking about hospitality too much and see what this verse means for us. And the first point is this, that, that a clear mind is the mark of maturity. A clear mind is a mark of maturity. Peter uses this phrase, be sober-minded. Keep your mind steady. Keep your mind clear. Perhaps we could say it like, you know, stay cool, stay calm, stay collected. No matter what's going on in the world around you, don't be frantic. And it's a, a warning that Peter was giving this church 2,000 years ago because as things seemed out of control in the world that he found himself in, as persecution was ramping up, people were tempted to start to latch on to some kind of crazy prophecies and some kind of heretical teaching and some, some ideas that weren't in line with Scripture. And Peter was saying, listen, just because the world around us is seeming like it's out of control doesn't mean that we have to feed into that. Don't get frenzied. Don't get all worked up just because of what's going on in the world. Us, as followers of Christ, we are the ones that can be of clear minds. We need to make sure that we're, we're balanced. We need to make sure that we take everything that we see and we run it through the lens of Scripture. So be clear-minded. It's the opposite of clear-minded is frenzied, right? And we see this a lot in our world right now. 
And we've talked about this a lot, but I think we have to because anywhere that you look in our world right now, there are stories that get, just continue to get sensationalized. And we continue to run down rabbit holes of, of just talking about how terrible everything is or how this conspiracy is here. Or I don't know what's happening here, but there's something else going on. And, and we're oftentimes tempted to just go with the, the, the flow of our culture, which truly is frenzied right now, isn't it? Peter says, that's not the mark of maturity. That's not the mark of those who are the church. We don't have to fall in line with that, but we can be of clear mind. And yet, oftentimes, it's hard for us to stay committed to that. I was reading an article this week by a guy by the name of Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer is like a Christian sociologist. He, he studies facts and trends and data in Christian churches specifically. And, and he was citing this reality that sadly, sadly, Christians and people who find themselves in churches are more likely to share and repeat conspiracy theories that are clearly not true than other segments of the population. And he was talking about this in this article, and he's saying, you know, this just should not be. We are the ones who know the truth. We can't be the most gullible people in our society. We have the truth on our side, and it actually defames the name of Christ when we share something that clearly isn't true, or we get caught up or frenzied in something that just doesn't add up without doing and spending and knowing exactly what's going on in that situation. You see, as, as followers of Christ, we are supposed to be clear-minded. And Peter talks about this. The reason why we're supposed to is because the end of all things is near. He brings it back to this reality that Jesus is coming. Even as we were just singing that song that someday every one of us will bow before Jesus. We will either bow willingly or we will, we will find ourselves in a place where we will be, our eyes will be open and we did not realize that he in fact was who he said he is. But one way or another, all of us will see Jesus. And so what should our response be? We need to live lives that reflect that reality. We need to live lives that are prepared to meet Jesus. It's a heavy thought, but it's a true thought that we need to wrestle with and understand that, that one way or another, whether Jesus comes first or whether our death comes first, either way, every single human, every single person with a soul will stand before Jesus and so the question is, are we living our lives like that? Are, are we living our lives with the recognition that there's something way more eternal than what we see and experience right now? And Peter says, because of that, we have to let our lives overflow with love. The response to knowing that Jesus is coming soon or we will be meeting Jesus soon, the response to knowing that is to love is to love one another, is to love God, is to make sure that we don't just have, and, and we've talked about the reality that love is way more than just an emotion or a feeling, to make sure that we are actually putting into practice love. The way that an athlete works and hones on their skills, we can work and hone in our ability and our reality that we can love the people that God puts in our lives. Peter says, the end is near, therefore... Make sure your mind is clear and make sure you're living in a way that honors Jesus. Love one another. Let's jump back into verse 9. 
Verse 9 is what the, the kind of this whole teaching is based on. In verse 9, chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the second point is this. Hospitality is a natural response to the gospel. Opening up our lives, opening up our hearts to one another, it's a natural outflow of truly knowing and accepting the gospel. You know, even as we're in this Be the Church series, uh, part of being the church is experiencing and offering hospitality to one another. And, and I think that you know this, and we've talked about this a lot throughout this series, but it's important for us to continue to say that hospitality doesn't just happen inside the church space. Of course, we have a hospitality team. We have a welcoming team. And we used to give out donuts and coffee. And now when you walk in, you get mask and hand sanitizer. It's different times right now, right? But we have a team that tries to welcome people as they walk into the doors of the church. But, but hospitality doesn't start in our building. Hospitality doesn't begin and end when we gather together. In fact, hospitality for the follower of Christ that understands and has wrestled with the gospel, it starts in our hearts. It starts in our connection to Christ. It starts in our commitment to say, I want to love my neighbors. I want to love my church family. I want to love the people that God has brought me into contact with. That's where hospitality starts. The best examples of biblical hospitality don't even happen in our buildings or our gatherings. The best examples of Christian hospitality happen in our everyday lives, in our apartments, in our homes, in our places of work, as we're around our neighborhood, as we're doing our everyday life, living out the gospel, being generous and welcoming to the people that God brings us into contact with. You might have heard us talk about uh, a partnership that we have with a church called Grace Point. They're out in San Francisco area, and uh, it's, a, it's a collegiate-focused church that exists on the campus of UC Berkeley, which is pretty cool. UC Berkeley, it, traditionally at least, has been known as a pretty hostile place towards Christianity, and it's a, a church of about 1,000 college students that exists on that campus. And so every other year, there's a group of us churches that plant churches in college towns that gather together, and, and we fly out to to, to San Francisco, and, and we get hosted for these conferences where we dream and pray and try to talk about what it's like to, to reach more and more people, and, and they host us every year. It's a primarily Korean church, and I remember before we went out there about seven or eight years ago for the first time, I thought I kind of knew what Christian hospitality was about, and man, when we went out there for the first time, uh, we were just blown away by the way that this church loved and welcomed and invited us. It was truly amazing the way that, that they lived, and it, it made such a big impact on all of us that, that go there, and so it's a you know conference of two to 300 people, and they host it. They buy all the food. They serve all the food, and then when you go there, usually when you go to a conference, at least for us, a lot of times we'll stay in a hotel, but they're like, oh, no, no, no. You can't stay in hotels. No, you're coming to our, our places, our homes. And so they divide everybody up in the, the conference, and then you stay with somebody at their church. And when you stay in their homes, they treat you like royalty. It's so humbling, you know. They, they treat you so good. There's little snack bags there, and they just draw you out and ask you questions. They want your ki their kids to be around you and listen to you. Their kids give up their beds so that you can sleep in it, and they go sleep on the floor. I mean, it's, it's just a, a, 
amazing example of hospitality. I remember one time I was out there for the conference, and I had a cold. And you know how a guy with a cold is. It's just, like, really hard, you know? It's extremely hard. And so I was kind of complaining about the cold that I had. And, and I came back at the end of the day after the conference, and they made me, like, this beautiful, like, basket full of goodies. And there was NyQuil, and there was Advil. And it was, like, any medicine over the counter that I ever could have imagined. It was just sitting there by my bed with this nice little note we're so sorry you have a cold you know we'll make sure that we know you're not at home but we want you to feel at home anyway I I think about that example and the other examples I've seen of people living out hospitality and it truly inspires me to want to be closer to Jesus as I see that because I'm reminded of that over and over again and so I, I was thinking about this even as I was preparing this message. And it's, it's funny because our, our teaching team, our, our group of pastors and pastors in training, you know, we talked this summer about like, wouldn't it be awesome if we could give a message that didn't reference COVID? Like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could make it through a whole message and we didn't talk about the coronavirus? And, and the answer is yes, it would be awesome, but it's probably not going to happen. And, and here's why. Because as we study the pages of Scripture, We need to contextualize what the Bible is teaching us. And we're living in a world that is very different than it was even five, six months ago. And so as we're looking to figure out what does it look like to display hospitality to one another, I think it would be kind of silly if we didn't talk about the reality that our world is much different. So hospitality right now in in our COVID world may look different than it did in the past. It may look different than it did in the future. But I was thinking, what could it look like even right now? Because maybe we're not around as people as much, or maybe we're, we're not having people into our homes as much as we would have. And so I have some just ideas for you to mull on, because the, the hope at the end of this message is that you would be inspired to live a life more and more hospitable to the people around you. So, so here's some ideas. Maybe, maybe you just go for a walk in your neighborhood, wherever you find yourself, and you go for a walk with the intentionality of trying to meet people or talk to the people who are out and be welcoming to them. And maybe even if you can't talk to people or maybe if there's nobody out, you just pray as you're walking. You walk by somebody's apartment, you walk by somebody's house, and you just pray for them. You know, that's a form of hospitality that you can do really easily in this world that doesn't even involve much contact with people at all. Maybe you buy a meal for your your neighbors or your friends. Maybe there's somebody in in your your circle, whether it's our church circle or somebody else that you know that's either struggling or or has something going on in their life, or or maybe you just want to bless them. And so so you buy them a meal, you buy them carry out, you do something for them and totally surprise them, and, and you don't take the credit, but then you point the credit towards Jesus. Maybe you offer to help with somebody's kids as school, we're thinking about what schools may or may not look like. Maybe it's appropriate in certain contexts to find out how can I, can I help with somebody's kids during this time. Maybe you write just an encouraging note or a card or a Bible verse and you drop it in somebody's mailbox or you leave it on somebody's front door just so that they know that somebody cares about them, is thinking about them. Maybe you use your, your resources or the gifts that, that God's given you. Or maybe you have a specialty area. Maybe you know how to fix cars or you know how to make something that somebody needs made or you're a great cook or whatever the case may be. You use the areas that you excel in and, and you don't just use them for yourself, but you use them to bless the people in your lives. Or, or maybe you just share your stuff with people. 
And you just share yourself. Like if you have something that other people need, you just start to change your mindset as we're going to talk about here. You say, this isn't mine anyway. So if you, if you need something, if you need toilet paper, if you need hand sanitizer, whatever the case may be, I, I want you to have some of mine. I know our neighbors did that for us when this whole thing started. Uh, the Cozies, they go here, they live next door to us, and we kind of got caught off guard. We didn't have any hand sanitizer. We were out and about all the time, and it was when you couldn't get it, and they brought over a couple bottles of hand sanitizer, and we were like, oh my gosh, that stuff's like gold. Thank you so much. You know, they, they, they gave that to us. They shared it because they didn't view it as their own. Those are just some ideas, but each one of us has to wrestle with God. Hospitality doesn't stop just because we're in a pandemic. The world doesn't just stop. We have to get creative in finding ways to show the love of Christ to the world around us, to show the love of Christ to our family, to our community. Hospitality is something we're called to do. It may look different, but that's what contextualizing Scripture is for each and every one of us. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Then let's read this final part of the passage. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who's speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides them so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Third and finally is this. All we have is God's. All we have is God's. That's the core conviction that each one of us has to develop if we truly want to be hospitable in the way that scripture commands us to. Again, inviting people over every once in a while, entertaining, that's a start for sure. But, but true biblical hospitality is this mindset that everything I have, whether it's a physical possession, whether it's a gift or ability or a talent that God has given me, everything I have is his. Nothing is ours. We try to use this in our family, right? You know, talk about my kids. We have three kids, and so as kids are sometimes, you know, it'll be like, hey, hey, I want you out of my room. This is my room. I want you to get out of here. Or that's my bike. You can't ride my bike. It's mine. You know, and so we've tried to instill in our kids, is that really your bike? Is, is that really yours? Is that really your room? Okay, well, whose is it? Okay, this is God's. He's gifted it to you for now. It's on loan for a little while. So you might as well figure out how to try to use it in a way that honors him and glorifies him. It's something that, that we've tried to, to change our language, even in our family, to, to not say something is mine. Because I think our, our language matters. But try to change our mindset to it's all God's anyway. So how can I use this to bring him glory? And so we teach that to our kids. And I, I wonder sometimes even as adults if we need reminders of that. The places that we live, they're not ours. Even if you pay the mortgage, it's not yours. Because even that money that you used to pay the mortgage, it was gifted to you by God. And you're just stewarding it and using it during this time. The vehicle that you drive, it's not yours, believe it or not. It's, it's God's. He's gifted it to you. And so with everything we have, we have to figure out, how can I use this for God's glory? Not only our possessions, but who we are. 
Like the way that God's made us, the things that you're good at, and I know God has made each and every one of us with things that we are good at, with passions that we have, with things that we can use to bless other people in unique and wonderful ways. I know there are some amazing talents that exist within our church right here. Even those talents and passions that, they, that you have, they're not yours. So what can you do to build up the body of Christ with those things. See, as we seek to live hospitable lives, we have to realize that, that any effort we make in this has to be rooted in the gospel. Because Jesus was our ultimate example of hospitality. Jesus left the comfort of heaven and came to earth, and he didn't even consider his very own life his own. So much so that he would go to the cross, live a perfect life. He would do life with people. He would share meals with people. He shared everything that he had. He shared his wisdom. He shared his good gifts. He shared his beauty with the whole world around him. And yet he was still crucified and sent to the cross. He didn't even view his life as his own. But he viewed his life as a way for us to be reconciled and made right with God. So he's crucified on the cross. He went to the grave. He rose from the grave, defeating death, proving that he, in fact, is and was God. And now each and every one of us, we have the opportunity to respond to that hospitality that Jesus has extended to all of us. We can say, yes, God, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I want to give my heart to you. I want to live my life in the pattern that you have set for me. And when we do, we engage with the gospel in powerful, amazing ways. You see, Jesus essentially said, as I come to this earth, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to invite you in. I want to invite you to the table. I want to invite you into the family. I want you to know me and walk with me. And as he set that example for us, we in turn can live that out in ways that will truly be countercultural to the world around us, but will be so, so bright in a dark, dark world. I pray that we wrestle as a church as to what it looks like to live in the pattern of Jesus as we seek to be the church, not just go to church, but be the church to the world around us, that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So let's pray and let's spend some time worshiping together today.